Gospel according to Mark chapter 4, starting excuse me, with verse 35. Hear ye the word of the Lord. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when the, they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was at the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy and righteous Father God, I ask that you be with me as I speak to your people, Lord God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Allow me to decrease so that you may increase. And people can hear your word and ask, what must I do to become saved? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, for the time that is ours to uh, share together, I want to talk a little bit about weathering the storm. Weathering the storm. Storms are guaranteed to come in our lives. I, I remember the adage that says you are either going into the storm, you're in the middle of the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. Uh, uh, life is about handling the changes and facing dif difficult situations, also known as weathering the storms. I, I have to be honest, uh, it, it hurts my soul a little bit to stand before you today. I've been planning a sermon since I knew uh, this was going to be my first sermon here on the way to being pastor of this historic church, St. Paul United Methodist Church, in this historic city. Galveston, Texas, on this historic weekend celebrating Juneteenth. I had a, a nice, nice sermon prepared, and I was going to talk about Father's Day too, and 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 you know the, the qualities of a good father. But then the events that occurred on June 17th at Emmanuel AME Church the mother church of Charleston, South Carolina that had been there since 1816, I felt, com I felt compelled. No, I felt commanded to talk about something else. So maybe we'll talk about Father's Day next year. Nine victims. Cynthia Hurd. Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor, the Honorable Reverend Clementa Pickney, Tawanza Sanders, Reverend Daniel Simmons, Reverend Sharonda Singleton, and Myra Thompson. 
all lost their lives because somebody named Dylan Storm Roof committed a despicable act of evil. And it's, it's been real hard for me to look at the news and read the newspaper and look online and, and read and see all these things without crying because it hurt me to my core. It's horrible. And my heart goes out to all of those involved. I am hurt. I am shocked. I am sad. And I am angry all at the same time. And I feel sad for everybody involved. But there's another part of me that peaks when I see this situation. There's another part of me that I have to acknowledge being a black man in a so-called post-racial society. We're supposed to be past the civil rights movement and everything's supposed to be okay. We got a black president now. No such thing as racism, right? I get frustrated because I work at a predominantly white corporation during the week and I attend a predominantly white uh, university working on my master's degree in divinity and I also uh, spend a lot of time as a, as, a, as a United Methodist pastor in a predominantly white denomination. And so we always bump heads when certain conversations tend to happen. Uh, there's a contingency of people that don't want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. They don't want to talk about racism. I get into that argument every time in class when something brings up, they act like if you talk about it, that's bringing the problem worse. They call it playing the race card. You are injecting racism into something that racism is not supposed to be in. Well, in this situation, you can't overlook the racist element. Because according to published reports, uh, Mr. Roof came into the church and made a rant about African Americans, quote unquote, raping raping the women and taking over the country. You're not playing the race card when the shooter is wearing a Rhodesia flag jacket. And for those who don't know what Rhodesia is, that is apartheid South Africa. When they were separating the blacks and the whites and the whites were ruling South Africa, Rhodesia was one of the militant units of that, sort of like the Confederate flag. You can't play the race card. The facts are there. He had a website with a racist manifesto on it and what he thought about black people and how he thought they were inferior to whites. This is not playing the race card. These are facts. This is racially motivated and there is no way around it. Scores of unarmed black people dying come to mind every time something like this happens. Every time I see this in the news, and I know for me personally, it's been going on since 1987. Because I remember Michael Taylor in Indianapolis, Indiana, a young man who was handcuffed in the backseat of a police car and turned up dead, and the police said he shot himself. He's somehow only wearing a tank top and some basketball shorts, was able to hide a 38 special from himself and shoot himself. And it took years of legal proceedings and, and witness testimony and everything to come out before they decided, you know what? 
maybe the police actually did this. You have your Trayvon Martins and, and your Eric Garners and Walter Scott from the same area who has some back child support he owed, shot in the back multiple times and evidence dropped on him so that the police could say he was going for my taser. And if there wasn't somebody with a camera phone, it would have been business as usual. I understand that every circumstance has its own dynamics and truth be told, I don't feel like every time a black person dies at the hands of the police we need to, or the hands of an overzealous uh, person that we need to take to the streets. But that doesn't make it hurt any less. But there are enough times to make me pay attention. My people are dying and it hurts. And I don't buy leaving the past in the past. Because I hear that too. First I hear people say you're playing the race card. Then I hear, well, that didn't happen to me. So uh, that didn't happen when I was alive. So why should I have to deal with any of the repercussions? And leaving the past in the past, I can't really buy that. Because when I think about it, if every time I mess up, you treat it like a first offense, the punishment is not as severe. If every time it's a first offense, you're liable to get a little slap on the wrist and go away. And they won't do us like that. Because every police and law enforcement has a database. And in the database, they have your name and your vitals and all of that. And then they have your aliases, but they also have known affiliations. So if you join an organization that has a history of being racist, or you join an organization that has a history of, 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 of violence, you're joining that, you take on that history. So I can't just leave the past in the past. I also don't compare this to black on black crime. I see a lot of people like that. Well, you two people killed this time and this many people died in, in Chicago and where's the outrage? Where's Al Sharpton? Where's Jesse Jackson? I can't compare that to that because a lot of times when it's black on black crime, that person is going to jail. They're going to jail and they're getting punished severely. But when it's the other way around, they get administrative leave. They get to sit at their desk and continue to get paid. They have one of their own co-workers hold the evidence. And another one of their co-workers investigate the evidence. And another one of their co-workers uh, put a ruling on the investigation and then it's all clean and wiped away. So I don't compare it to black on black crime. I'm thankful for technology these days because now if every phone didn't have a camera, it would still be business as usual. But even with the video, there is no guarantee that they're going to be punished for what they did. I also have to be honest if this situation is also a little bit scary. The church is supposed to be a place of safety. Yet people see it as vulnerable, a, a place to attack. Uh, the very first ministry I joined by choice. And I say by choice because growing up, I was not allowed to just go to church. Uh, my mother 
made us be active. We couldn't just go to school. We had to get involved in sports and extracurricular activities. We could not just go to church. We had to pick ministries to join. And so before I was able to pick for myself, my mom picked for me. But when I was able to pick for myself, the very first ministry I joined at Light of the World Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, was called the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood was a group of black men who wanted to mentor other black men, and they also provided security for the church and the pastor. Because people had saw the church as an opportunity, a place to threaten people and hurt people, and we wasn't going to stand for it anymore. And we also did it because our relationship with the police was not that great in Indianapolis. I just told you about Michael Taylor. There were a bunch of other situations like that going on as well. So when we were looking for protection, we really wasn't trying to go to the police. But the church is supposed to be a place of refuge. And now we have pastors arguing about whether or not we need to be strapped in the pulpit. Storms will make you mad. Storms will make you disappointed. Storms will make you scared. But we have an example of how to deal with the storm right here in the text. Dealing with a man named Jesus and his disciples. First of all, we have the crisis. Let the church say crisis. The crisis of the storm when we reach these tough problems, when we reach these these difficult situations, we have to face the storm. I look at the text, and I look at what the text says, and I also look at what the text does not say. I don't see anywhere in the text where it says the disciples turned around. They faced the storm. I, I, I don't see them jumping off the ship. I don't see them pointing around and blaming other people. I don't see them trying to go back home. The storm is not the time to sit on the sidelines with popcorn and a cold drink. The storm is the time to get working. Strong steel is formed by hot fire and being struck over and over again. Diamonds come out of an immense amount of pressure. Broken bones, they come back stronger. There will be adversity in our lives with how we deal with it determines success or failure. Duke Ellington said a problem is your chance to be your best. And then I look at Job in the Bible and he says, I look, I go forward and he is not there. And backward, I cannot perceive him. When he works in the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns at the right hand, I can't see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I come out as pure gold. We have to face the storm. When crisis comes, we can't avoid it. We can't sweep it under the rug. We can't ignore it. We can't pass it on to the next person. We got to face it. And so we have this crisis, and during this crisis, we have a sleeping Savior. You know, it may seem like when the times are tough that God is not on the throne. It may seem like Jesus is asleep at the job and not caring about what goes on in our lives. But we serve a God who knows how many hairs are on our head. And he loves us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should seek cause to repent. We are not alone in this journey. In times of crisis, it's natural to ask, where is God? 
Why did God cause something bad to happen? This is not God's fault. Yes, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Big $5 words for all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-seeing. But there is still evil in the world. Uh, an example I put in my credo, borrowing from Constant uh, Augustine, rather, confessions, I treat the presence of evil like a steak. Mm. Steak is delicious. I like to eat steak a lot. <laughs> but if the steak is not handled properly, if it's not cooked correctly, or even if you cook it correctly and leave it out in the elements too long and it gets exposed to other things, it becomes damaging to you. It can be dangerous. And so there are people out here doing evil things, but not because God made them do it. They were exposed to bad elements. They were missing the proper things. They were not handled properly during their development. And because they were not handled properly during their development, they became dangerous to others. I don't blame God for that. We all have free will to choose and go and do what we have to do. But where is God in the storm? He is grieving with us. He is sending the Holy Spirit to comfort those affected by it. He is being an ever-present help to us in our time of trouble, and he's all doing it and making it look easy. You ever been around somebody that's so good at something that it looks like they could do it in their sleep? Looks like they could roll out the bed and do it. And you practice however, over and over and over and try to do it. And you work just to improve a little bit and they can just do it like that. Well, God is like that. God takes care of us like that. It looks like he's not there, but it's just easy to him because he's God. And so we have the crisis in the storm. And then we have the cry. Let the church say cry. In, in verse 38, the disciples did right. They awoke Jesus. They took their problem to Jesus. The disciples went to somebody that could fix the situation. They didn't fight over the storm. They didn't fight over whose job it was to respond to the storm. They didn't fight over whether or not everybody was doing their job on the boat. This is not a pass to abandon our duties. But this is just a point that when you hit a storm, you need to look to Jesus. Hard decisions have to be made and you got to focus on what matters most. And you have to focus on someone who can do something about your problem. And there's no one that can do something about your problem better than Jesus. Amen. And so we have the crisis. And we have the cry. We have the crisis. You face these difficult times and you have to face them and not turn away. And you have the cry. When you get in trouble, you turn to Jesus. And then after that, you have the calm. Let the church say calm. Uh, the gospel according to Mark is very deep academically. It's, it's a short book. It's not a lot to read. And Mark doesn't say much. But when you actually get into it and, and exegete it and look at it with the scholar's eyes, there, he says a lot without saying very much. It doesn't take much to get his point across. When you unpack it, there's a whole lot that's going on in these few words of the text. And one of the things is that the gospel, according to Mark, is big on exorcism. 
Jesus casts out a lot of demons in the gospel according to Mark. And one thing that the scholars pointed out about this storm when I went to study all the commentaries in preparation for this message is that Jesus spoke to the storm like he was exercising a demon. I'm going to say that again. Jesus spoke to the storm like he was exercising a demon. In the storms of life, we may tend to focus on the wind and the rain or what's happening to our boat or how we're going to repair our boat after it's damaged. And we might be thinking about who ought to help us or thinking we have no business even being in the storm in the first place. But Jesus treated this thing like he was casting out a demon. So while we are pointing out the evil acts of this Charleston situation or the evil acts of any situation that goes on, we need to be praying to cast out the demon behind it. If you focus on the natural without dealing with the physical, that's like covering up your symptoms when you're sick. You might not cough and sneeze anymore, but you're still sick. You got to deal with the root cause of the sickness in order to get rid of it. Or else you're bound to face the problem again. It is the spiritual decay that leads to these fleshly problems. So you have to stay in prayer before the Lord if you want the problem to truly go away. Even Dr. King said at the funeral for the four little girls that died in the church bomb, and he said in 1963 at their funeral, he said, we must be concerned not merely about who murdered them, but about the system, the way of life, the philosophy which produced the murderers. And if that's not good enough for you, I got some Bible for you in Ephesians 6 and 12. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So while we're out here screaming about the racism, and there is racism to be done, we need to be on our knees before the Lord, dealing with the racism and the evilness behind it getting to the issue behind it because it is a spiritual issue and you need to speak to the demon behind it. In these times, we ought not be fearful. We need to call upon our faith and go before the Lord and call on him to answer our prayers. And so then we have the calm. We call on Jesus no matter what the problem is. He'll solve it. See, there's something special about this miracle in the gospel, according to Mark. It's also in in, in, uh, Matthew and Luke. But there is something special about Jesus speaking to the winds and the waves. Uh, Lots of other people perform miracles in the Bible. It was a lot of, you go through the Bible, it's a bunch of miracles and soothsayers and magicians and everybody's able to do certain things and there are people that are even able to heal the sick but nobody but Jesus could calm the weather you call on Jesus because only Jesus can rebuke the wind and the waves in your life there are some things that only Jesus can speak to to make a situation calm And so that is what we ought to do in this situation. We need to speak to the demon behind it, and we need to let Jesus handle it. Because can't nobody handle it like Jesus. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son.
And in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open.